everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for preventative mental health, love, and compassion. I'm really glad you joined us. I'm Caroline Heim, and today we're continuing our series taken directly from the monthly live Q&As that Dr. Heim does on the iHealth radio channel in New York with host Hurricane H. And in today's episode, someone asks the question, what is love? particularly in the context of abusive relationships. So Dr. Heim talks about how childhood patterns influence your relationship. This is super interesting and applicable to everyone. And in the second half of the episode, we get a call from someone about the relationship between OCD and anxiety in teenagers. So in that, Dr. Heim talks about the biological basis for OCD and answers the questions, why are children getting so much more anxious today? And should you use psychotherapy or medication for OCD? He finishes off with discussing how long it would take someone to get over a mental illness. Okay, so let's go. Um, this is Eric Nage. You're watching the iHealth channel. This is our monthly live Q&A with uh, Dr. Hein, world-renowned uh definitely a psychiatrist that everybody needs to know about and uh, get to learn from and, uh, you know, great questions, great answers. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, here it comes. So, so I have a, a multiple question here uh, from Jennifer. Uh, she's from Connecticut. And uh, so this is going to be a little bit on the love side. <laughs> so the first part of the question says, what is love and how does it work psychologically? Is there an actual psychological definition? That's the part one. Um, we, we can do that and then I can go to the next one or we can just, as uh, whole yeah, uh, okay. No, no, give, give me the whole question. Hurricane. I want to okay. see where we're going here. Okay. Perfect. So I'm assuming this is what led to that first part. So, uh, why some married folks stay in a relationship that is abusive, oppressive, unhealthy, uh, a colleague is not happy in her marriage. Her husband is yeah. very protective and possessive. She can't do anything with him. Uh, she doesn't hang out. He calls her a lot of work, requests FaceTime. When he tells her to leave, she says that she can't. Uh, he is good to her. She is not seeing him for what he is. Uh, and I think that's really what it is. I think she's talking about okay. her friend who's got issues. Okay. Yeah. Uh, haven't we all got issues with love, Hurricane? And it's it's amazing because love is one of those things that we love talking about, we love to experience, and we'd love to get it right if we possibly can. But I suppose the bottom line answer to what is love, because that's the big question, is we do not fully understand love. However, we've got some ideas and we've got some scientific ideas, we've got some psychological ideas, and we've got some social ideas. So I'm going to put sort of all of those together. From a scientific point of view, love serves survival. Our brain is there so that we can survive this harsh environment called life. Mm. And love is felt in our limbic system of our brain. And what love does is it does three things. It helps us first to get together to, uh, to have kids, all right, because if we don't do that, then the species will die out. <laughs> it helps us get together to actually parent our children so that they will actually survive to become adults. And then the third thing that love does scientifically is that it starts building structures in our society. So a couple in love become part of a structure. And that structure then becomes part of larger structures because other people are in these sort of structures. And the love between uh, all of us in society helps us survive together. 
Now, I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes, right? Scientifically, we can talk about how love is uh, driven by certain brain chemicals. Uh, like, for example, when you first meet somebody, uh, there's sort of a, a lust that happens there, and that's driven by sex hormones, right? But then sometimes you may find yourself attracted to one particular person, and you might say, you know what, that person is for me. And there's a lot more pleasure in that, so there's a lot more dopamine released in the brain. Um, uh, mind you, we, we start not to be able to think quite straight, okay? And uh, some of that is mediated by lower serotonin. But when you have love, long-term attachment, as we call it in psychiatry, then what happens is we become under the influence of oxytocin. And oxytocin is just a powerful chemical in the brain. When you make love with somebody that you're in love with, that love that gets released is mediated by oxytocin in the brain. Um, uh, the love that mothers had for their infants is mediated by oxytocin. All love and all trust has this oxytocin element. So if we don't get that feeling, we don't feel complete as human beings. Now, I'm just up to the scientific point of view of love, okay? So if there's anything <laughs> you want stuff. to add to this. No, it's pretty yeah. good stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, for our audiences, we all experience love one way or the other. And there's different types of love, I'm assuming. Uh, you know, there's yeah. love for a partner, family, kids, friends, uh, world, nature. There's so many things. But I guess the word is just a term that can, can be many, <laughs> many things. Oh, well, it, it can. And Hurricane, as you know, I've just written a book called The Seven Types of Love, where I talk about yeah. erotic love, friendship love, family love, love for strangers, uh, love for mentors. And there's a few other loves that, uh, that, that I haven't sort of talked about there. But, you know, Hurricane, we don't want to just survive in this world. We also want to thrive as individuals. So the psychological part of love is that, you know what, if I can make it together with somebody else, I become more than myself. I become part of a relationship that is not only a framework, but also an expression of something higher, something better, if you like. And a good relationship, if it has any meaning to people out there, can actually help two people to become better. And socially, love is something that gets expressed th uh, through all of our relationships to a small degree. So in this huge thing called love that we don't understand fully, but we all enjoy immensely and we all get wrong sometime, it's worth putting the effort to try to get it right. Because if you can, it feels absolutely amazing. I, and and, and I, I would concur to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. listen, uh, you, you, you experience it with your spouse, you experience it with your family, you experience it with your parents and your yeah. kids, uh, you know, with your friends, um, you know, uh, even with life and everybody else. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, but but again, I think that sometimes it comes with challenges. And, and in our case here in this particular question, I think it led to, uh, you know, well, the source of the question was really the, the experience of the friend of uh, our yeah. you know, uh, uh, yeah. guest here. So, yeah, and Jennifer was talking about her friend, you know, and why do some people remain in abusive relationships? Yes. Uh, now, problems in a relationship does not mean that the relationship is abusive, because in love and your experience is hurricane. We all have to be able to tolerate, accept, and even forgive each other's faults. Otherwise, a relationship just won't go forward. Uh, but how far do you take that? When does it become abusive? Uh, 
Well, for that, we've got the law. And the law basically says you start hitting another person, right? That is abusive. And there are other forms of abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, financial and emotional abuse. But love is so complex. And I work in my office with a lot of people that have stayed in abusive relationships because the love instinct in us is so strong, Hurricane, that we want something to work. And even in an abusive relationship, there is actually love, right? But too many things go wrong. And when they can't be sorted through, when a person becomes endangered rather than um, accepted and actually encouraged, then in those situations, it's actually better for everybody that the relationship ends. However, we all need to work on our relationships to get that feeling of love flowing because it isn't easy. Well, true, doctor. And, and, and again, just from, from gathering from, from the question and just in general, I think the problem, and I've seen this actually happen in, in my, not personal life, but around me. So I've, I've yeah. seen those types of relationships. And I can tell you, it is, as you said, it's still love. The problem is one party has excessive love and I guess one has maybe less and that's not met in the middle. And I think that's what pushes. And when someone sees that they're not getting exactly the same amount or yeah. equal, uh, you know, uh, balance here, they just start to, I guess, to just try to find other ways to <laughs> prove themselves okay. or at least, you know, hold that person with them. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, Stephanie, what I'm going to do is put names to some of the things that you've been saying there, because Love is something that we experience in the brain <clears throat> as a strong force that goes outwards as an attraction towards somebody else, okay? But to have a good relationship, we need an equal power balance, right? If somebody is elevating themselves in power, and people normally do that out of fear, by the way, right, then the other person is, is going to get suppressed, and that's an awful situation. So to balance the passion of love, which is that strong attractiveness that we have, and I'm talking about a, uh, a personal relationship, there has to be respect love. And respect love is sort of being able to say, I want to be with you, but I see that you are a separate person that has your separate needs. <clears throat> and I am here to fulfill those needs, mm -hmm. just as I want my needs fulfilled by you. And so passion needs to be balanced by respect. Because if, if you're in a two-person relationship, your job is to love that person the way that they need to be loved. Now, their job is to love you the way that you need to be loved, all right? That's so what meet, makes it you really meet halfway. So, well, <laughs> yeah. Or I actually think 100% both ways. That's that's when people... I, I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. a better... Well, you know, it's funny because I, I was watching a series uh, or just last week um, on Netflix, and um, yeah. it's called Made. And uh, yeah. it's it's about, you know, it's a it's a it's a cute story and uh, it's about uh, a success story that's going to evolve eventually. But it started with an abusive relationship and uh, okay. and, and and it's almost like was generation, you know, based. And so there's there's a whole content there about it. But but it's amazing because you're right. It's sometimes people don't see it uh, yeah. when it gets to that point and they want to make it work and it's just not happening. I mean, yeah. in this case, at least from the question. I mean, sometimes it gets to the extreme where you can't even have freedom and, and you like feel like almost right. obligated to, uh, you, you can't be anywhere without checking in. I mean, 
that's 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 a little bit too <laughs> that's that's, right. that's crazy that's <laughs> i right. always use the word crazy here but <laughs> no no that, that's all right and and to start a dialogue as to uh look i'm not getting what i need i like that you love me passionately but i need respect i need you to see that i am a separate person because we all as human beings have the capability of hurting other human beings but what should happen is that we respect other human beings because we don't want to be hurt, right? None of us want to be hurt. But that is an impetus then for us to try to not hurt another person. So talking helps, right? But it gets very, very complex. Well, it is. And, and again, it depends on many factors. And, you know, sometimes it's the background of each individual can have an impact. We talked Always. about this in previous shows where, yeah. you know, if you had some sort of a childhood trauma, whatever, you know, that can affect your, you know, if you've seen something or you've been exposed to it as a kid, as, yes. as I had stated on the, the case of this particular series, something of that happened in that particular scenario. But but those are all factors. But to your point, at the end of the day, I think for Jennifer's satisfaction, you know, it's uh, it, it, people have to work it out and or make a decision that it's not going to be healthy and just it has to end. Doesn't yeah. mean to end ugly. Yeah, no, uh, well, yeah, yeah. But you see, uh, we wanted to stay together. That's actually the thing because love fulfills so much in each other. But if it's getting ugly, then we've got to look at it. And look, Hurricane, I, I go into this in detail in my book. I've, I've got to say, I, I, I look at how to have love based conversations mm. and how to mutually uh, get this balance between passion and respect in a two person relationship. But I, I just want to talk about something that you brought up, how we get influenced by what has happened in our childhood, okay? Uh, because the brain really does have two modes in a sense. We, we have a conscious brain network where we think and we make decisions, and that's in our frontal lobe and particularly in our orbital frontal cortex, where we can think and decide, this is what I want, this is what I need to do, and all of that. But you see, that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to be in that mode of thinking. So what we normally do is we go on automatic pilot. And for want of a better word, this is actually what happens in the subconscious mind, right? Where we just live out the patterns that are implanted in our brain. And we have patterns mainly from our childhood, mainly from what society expects us to do. And sometimes we haven't examined these patterns, but if we don't think about it, we will just blindly go with these patterns. And the idea is, in a relationship to think about what's actually happening in the relationship to tear it apart and say, okay, this is what needs to be done. All of that takes a lot of work, but the idea is to create a new pattern that you can then give to the subconscious mind to say, here's a better pattern to work by. Right. And, and that's a truckload of work hurricane. I don't want to say that's easy, but that's basically what happens in couples therapy. We look for a new, better pattern for us to work on when we're on automatic pilot. Otherwise, we'll just reproduce some of the abuse that happened in childhood. Wow. That was a mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, well, it's pretty long questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I have uh, just uh, the book uh, that's available, I'm assuming, you know, for people to, to acquire if they need, you know. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, you can get that through our website. You can get that through Amazon. Um, uh, I believe there's an audio book on there. I'm into audio books these days, okay? I just love being read to by, by people. And uh, this one's by uh, my spouse who has a wonderful voice. And uh, it's a good way to look at the book. But yeah, we get to some of these big things. 
Uh, we have a call. Hold on. Hurricane H. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Who do I have here? You have Scott and Pia. Well, hello, Hi. Scott. Hello, Pia. How are you? And you have Hurricane H. And if you're watching, you're with Dr. Heim live. So you probably caught out the first part of the show. So uh, let's see what we have today. What kind of question do you have for Dr. Heim? Well, we were mostly calling in because we just wanted to uh, speak about the relationship between um, OCD and anxiety, uh, particularly pertaining to teenagers and how um, we can help them cope with that. Peter, that's a wonderful question. Thank you very much. So uh, younger people are getting a lot more anxious these days. In fact, there's a leading researcher by the name of uh, Gene Twenge, uh, who's basically calling this the age of anxiety. And OCD is, well, it's actually a complicated uh, mental illness, but it has a strong connection with anxiety. And uh, it's got to do with control issues. The thing about today's society, particularly for younger people, is there's so much uncertainty, there's so much change, there's so much choice that this makes people anxious. Uh, what makes us all actually relaxed is familiarity. The brain loves familiarity. That's how we get our serotonin uh, boosts, all right? By feeling familiar, by we by being with people that are familiar, by being in a familiar environment. And look, our present day society has gone through so much change that this familiarity is lacking. Plus, screen technologies also mean that we're getting new information, new ideas, new images all the time. That's kind of the cause. So the way to help people with anxiety and OCD, firstly, is if it's severe, you may need to get professional help. So. Sorry, Scott and Peter, I just, I just got to sort of always say something like that. But the other thing is to have familiarity, rhythm and routine. And if you can start off just with something like a meal that everybody has at night or some sort of weekend activity that everybody does or the Saturday morning where the whole household is just chill, that starts to bring familiarity and routine. Does that speak to your situation at all? Yes, it does actually. Um, it was kind of this is kind of like a second part question. So this stems from um, a situation where our son was diagnosed with pandas when he was five years old. Yeah, and um, we kind of went through the motions for about a year and a half or so. This was about eleven years ago. So I believe everything was a little bit different then. I believe there's treatments for it now. You also believe that it's been uh, the name, the term's been changed to pans now. Um, yeah. So we had an issue where um, he was treated till for about a year and a half and everything went great. And then uh, once the teen years approached, we noticed, I guess, with the shift in hormones that everything just um, came back all at once. He started to develop tics. Yeah. Um, again, a lot of the stuff we went through that kind of ended around the age of eight kind of came back or at like 13 into 14. Yeah. So, um, you know, the OCD came back, the anxiety came back and it was kind yeah. of like, we're just going through the motions again now. So it feels, it's a little exhausting, but he's at a point where he's understanding it a little bit better, so, but so how he's also unfamiliar with it because he was too young to even realize what was happening before. How old is he now, Peter? He's going to be 16. 
Okay, okay. So, yeah, so he'll be understanding. And did he actually have some sort of a streptococcal infection when he was younger? He did. We were unaware of it because up until this day, he doesn't show symptoms of strep. So every time okay. he is under the weather, we do have to have a strep test done. Okay, okay. So uh, your son is in one of those situations uh, of a, a complex uh, OCD syndrome because it's associated with infection and there's something very biological about OCD that we do not quite understand. And all the things that I said beforehand, that's all psychological, right? Whereas um, uh, the, uh, what your child has gone through is much more biological, okay? But there's a strong association. Uh, there's that idea that, that he uh, would like to have or what would help him is to have familiarity and control and some understanding. And above all, that this is not his fault, all right? That uh, this came from a biological condition that doctors are just beginning to understand. Uh, is he still under the care of uh, a doctor for his situation? Yes, he sees um, a behavioral therapist, but I, I was just wondering at this point, as he enters his later teen years, does, at what point do we possibly shift? Um, you know, because he does, he does understand his behavioral therapist does help him a lot. Yes. yes. But he still ticks, he still taps, he still gets anxious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so at 16, and look, as a parent myself, Peter, um, I find that my idea of my children is always a few years behind the reality, all right? I, I have a son who's 26, and I'm convinced he's still 18, all right? So during these years, your son is going to transition to being a full responsible adult. And so uh, what actually helps is for you to facilitate him becoming in control of his illness and in control of managing his illness so that he can understand it. And we've got the information out there to start that and for him to start taking more responsibility. And I'm sure you're doing this for his relationship with his behavioral therapist and also that dissatisfaction that, you know what, this hasn't gone away yet. And that's a horrible feeling uh, for him to sort of drive uh, Son, do you want to go see a doctor again? Is it time for us to see another psychiatrist? Is it time to sort of look at those sort of things so that he feels more in control of himself? Because this is something he's been battling with for almost 10 years now. Correct. This is what I was just wondering, like, where, when do we cross that line as we're watching him basically become a man and he's still going through the motions and yeah. he's understanding of what's happening. It's just, I guess he just kind of wants it to go away just as much as we all do. But at this point, I think it's kind of sticking around for with him for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So something that helps is um, to give to give the illness a name. You could call it something like Panda. All right. Is Panda bothering you at the moment? All right. So that it separates it from him so that he sees that it's not his fault. But what's going to happen in two years time when he's 18, healthcare professionals are going to start dealing with him exclusively and almost cut you out of the loop. Now, you never stop being a parent. I understand that. But for him to get the feeling that he is now, he's not to blame, but it's his responsibility to have his emotional needs and his medical needs met in the way that he needs to while you're still on his side. 
that's a transition for the next two years. Right. That's understandable. And I'm totally okay with that. And I even told him that even now, um, we're lucky with the therapist he has. She's within walking distance of our house. She's accessible 24-7 to him. It's just, I think we're at a really funny little space right now because he is getting older. Um, He is doing everything he's being told to do, but yet he's still dealing with the the effects of the pandas, you know, he yeah. was diagnosed with symmetrical OCD, which was good. So he had an actual diagnosis. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and just for people listening, pandas is a situation where uh, things like OCD and ticks is associated with infections. So it's very biological. It's, it's not just anxiety based, right? So what I would suggest at this stage, Peter, is that you have almost weekly meetings with him. Where, where you basically say, okay, how can we help manage this? All right, what do you need? So it becomes like a project and it becomes something outside of him so that he feels he's got uh, dialogue because your role is always going to be mother and father. You're always going to have that role in his life. But as the project gets put into his lap, you've just got to facilitate that so he feels in control and getting his medical and emotional needs met. Correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so a, a oh, yeah. weekly meeting is actually a good idea, right? Just so that he can feel that he can say whatever he needs uh, and he knows that you will listen and you'll need to say a few things too, knowing that he will listen as well, you know? And, and that way you're on the same side of a project, all right? You're on the same side helping each other overcome a common problem. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. That is really helpful. And I think it's great for me to take that back to him um it's great to have another perspective like i said i feel like you know there's a fine line now as he's getting older you know where he's gonna have to make some decisions as well as us yeah peter thanks very much for your for your question and uh all the best and always keep in contact with a therapist and a doctor if you need it great thank you so much for your time thank 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 you you. have a great evening thank you guys Love the show. Thank you, Hurricane H. Thanks, Scotty. Bye-bye. All right. Wow. That is that is pretty intense. And uh, thank you for, for, for clarifying. I mean, I think that's pretty helpful. And even people watching with a similar case, they probably can take that advice right there. I mean, it's important. Oh, yeah. And Hurricane, it lets us know just how tough some people are doing it out there. I mean, okay, so this would have started off with some sort of infection, normally a throat infection, when their son was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And then the throat infection, doctors tell you the throat infection's gone. But all of a sudden, you get these behaviors, you get these uh, jerky movements, and they just keep going and going for years and years. Now, nobody actually wants that in life. But when there's not a cure, what do you do? You manage it as best you can while still looking for the answer and a way to move forward. And that is difficult, particularly at this age when their son is. Yeah, becoming a man, and you know what? Wants to find his way in life, just like we all do, Hurricane. First of all, I, this is the first time I've actually heard that it, it could be affected through biological background. I mean, it yeah. started, you know, because like most of the psychology thing, I thought it was more like just mental stuff. But I mean, coming from an actual physical infection that can, you know, have this impact, I think that's the first, I, it's the first time for me. I don't know yeah. if for, for so many people yeah. listening right now, they're probably going to be like, wow. Yeah, and, and that's a strange thing with, uh, with, with OCD. And look, I've, 
I've treated people who had very, very severe OCD and it's quite debilitating hurricane. Yeah, yeah. I, I can just imagine. And, uh, I, you know, uh, for Scott and P, I mean, uh, that's a that's a, a lot of years to endure. And, and you know, yeah. you got to do the best you can as parents. And it's certainly and, not well, a good position. Parents, yeah, yeah. You're, you're in yeah. it for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, listen, we give them all the... The, the the strength and you know wish them all the the best you know to to continue and hopefully you know this gets better and better over time and by the way speaking of that i mean uh in in, in experience does that you know get better over time with the right treatment and things and eventually dissipate or it just you have to manage it yeah okay so uh rather than there being a rule for uh for everybody my clinical experience has been that it's it's variable for people it. um i i, I know I know children who have had this around aged eight, just like Peter's son, and uh, they've had an OCD condition for a year or two, and it's gone. Uh, I've known some people for whom it's come back, and I've known other people who, particularly at the age of development uh, between 18 and 22, when we're all going through some very strange experiences, uh, you can have just a few things happen that just tilts it in the wrong direction, right? So uh, it's, it's very variable, Hurricane, you know, but I would always encourage people to be involved with the doctor and the therapist. It's going to help them make a difference in their lives. Well, that, doctor, as always, uh, thank you for, for really getting deep on that and sharing with us. And to your point, every case is different and there's different factors also that may impact uh, how that, you know, outcome or prognosis, you know, will, will take place. So, yes. uh, you know. Uh, again, uh, for everybody listening, if you experience similarities, I mean, this is a good place. I mean, there's a good feedback here. And obviously, if you're dealing with a, a particular therapist, I think you should be able to see what the next steps are. So that, you know, I'm sorry, you wanted to say something. No, no, I, I just want to use OCD as an example of, uh, see, there seems to be a lot of debate in people's minds. Should we go psychotherapy or should we go medication? Mm. And uh, again, it's not an either or uh, question because OCD is a situation uh, in which the illness responds beautifully to a lot of our medications. Okay, so uh, I, I, have, I have treated some people who have had horrible obsessions and compulsions and one medication has just turned their lives around. But that's not the case for everybody. For somebody else, it may be you need to look at a psychological intervention, change behaviors, think about what's happening and uh, what you're feeling and how you uh, act in certain situations, and that can help. So a lot of these debates in the public become either or, but mental illness isn't an either or debate. It really is very individual. And so trying to find one size to fit everybody is just not going to work. Agreed. And I, yeah. I definitely, well, uh, it, it's, it's one thing that we've asked, I think a few um, sessions back was about the medication. Cause I think there was a question that came yeah. out before people sometimes are afraid of, of, you know, getting into the medication process and yes. you know how addictive it can be. I think sometimes that's something that people have to also consider. Right. And, yes. and in this case, there might be a need for it. And sometimes you don't have no choice if you really want to get better. And you just gave yes. an example where it does help and turns things around. Let me talk about that word addictive, all right? Because yes. whenever we hear that word addictive, it's sort of like it's all bad and we should stay away from it, right? Um, the most addictive substances we have at the moment are cigarette smoking, uh, crack cocaine, 
uh, heroin and amphetamines, okay? They are highly addictive. uh, More addictive than medications is actually the internet technology, all right? All the little beeps uh, that we get from our iPhones, okay, from uh, the screen, that is highly addictive. But you don't see people afraid of it, all right? People still sort of want to have that in their lives. So they will manage that. Less addictive is actually the medications that we use in psychiatry. So the medications that we use, particularly uh, for anxiety and depression, on the level of addictive, we look at smoking and crack cocaine and amphetamines and even the internet as a lot more addictive than something like our medications. I won't say that not all addictions are bad, but we have this moral panic when it comes to medications. Now, I, now I've, I've got to contradict what I just said there because we are going through an opioid crisis. Opioids, unfortunately, are addictive because they work, because they can actually get you out of pain, but that then diminishes in effectiveness over time and you can end up in a situation where you're on a medication that is dangerous for your life. And that is very difficult. We have to start moving through all of that and finding some ways forward. But when it comes to SSRIs and our medication for depression and anxiety, that's kind of low-level addiction compared to some of the other addictions that uh, we still have to get on top of in our society. Doctor, I I love that comparison. And and putting it in perspective is important because to your point, we all think, oh my God, it's bad, right? But you're right, there are much different addictions in this world and some are seriously (laughs) worse. And, you know, and it's it's all about how to manage it and the frequency. And, you know, uh, I think that the most fear that people would have is like, can I be weeded out of it? Can I, can I literally be eventually out of this medication? Yeah. Is this going to be a lifetime thing? I think that's really the main concern. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so uh, just on that, and if we talk about anxiety and depression, taking a medication is always risks versus benefits. Right. And uh, what we aim to do is trust the medical industry that they're helping us by making the right decisions there. But everything is a trial. So let's say when I start somebody uh, who has a severe depression on a medication, it's always a trial, which means that I might say for you, I would like you to commit to taking this medication for a year or for six months. I tend not to go less than six months. But we're always looking at risks and benefits. If it helps you feel good, if it saves your life, as a lot of medications do, we stay on the medication. If things are getting better and we've got some understanding as to what led to this depression or anxiety, then we can start tapering off the medication. Uh, The thing is, it's got to do with work, working on the management of your own mental illness. And the more that you're willing to put in that work, the more ability is there to talk to a professional to say, you know, I think I can handle this. Can we start going down in medication? And as long as you're involved with somebody, you can, you can come down in medication. And as a psychiatrist, I often find myself reducing somebody's medication rather than starting somebody's medication. As long as I give people tools that they can use that are more effective than the medication. And when we do that, we're hitting a sweet spot. Well, doctor, as I'm hearing you, and I, I, I'm thinking about something else uh, that, that came to mind here is it seems that all cases, in any case of a mental you know, uh, situation or diagnosis, yeah, yeah. there's different, obviously, protocols. But yes. the, my, my, my question really is, 
does it end ever for someone, uh, medication or not, you know, or is there a, I mean, it's, it seems that it has to be a commitment for a longer time than the six months of the treatment period, because you still have to manage it, I guess, over time, right? It's almost like you have to continuously make sure that, you know, there's nothing that's off because it gets better, but maybe triggers later on can happen. I think something like that yes. may be occurring in our minds right now as we listen to this. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Okay. So as a general rule, the more severe the mental illness is, the longer time it will take, right? But I do get people that in a matter of months get over whatever their complaint was. Uh, everybody goes to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a doctor because they are suffering in some way and they want that suffering to stop. Well, as a psychiatrist, I have to tell you the number of people that I have seen once or twice and I've not seen them again is actually quite high. Now, that's usually because they get better, right? So the people that I see for a long period of time and because I, I specialize in personal trauma, uh, that is people that obviously have more severe illness. Mm -hmm. With those people, you work for years. But even in that, there are, there are people with whom you work just for a year or two, and they are actually, by definition, better. But again, I then don't see them anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll see somebody who hasn't seen me for five or 10 years, and they said, this will sort of come up, and they'll see me again. And I have a number of people that will see me uh, on a regular basis because they don't want to take the risk of anything going wrong. They'll just sort of chat to me about their life, knowing that I understand their whole background just to keep them on track. And that's actually really good use of my time as well. So Hurricane, within all of that, there's a whole gamut. But if you're suffering, rather than be afraid that this may be a lifetime thing, take a chance that there's somebody out there that actually can help you in your situation. Because you know what? We actually want people to get well. We want to give you the best therapy, whatever that happens to be, psychological or medical, to get you out of a stuck situation as quickly as possible. Well, there you go. So very much to digest in this episode. Did you learn something? I certainly did. If you did, though, please subscribe, spread the word and recommend them to others. Catch you next time.